talked about how the way Clovis shared in meetings made them know that they belonged in AA. God's making me upset, you know, because it did. It made me know that I was in the right place. You know, when people were talking about how wonderful their lives were and how they'd had all these this growth in their wives and their jobs and their homes and their cars and all that stuff, that kind of turned me off. But when I heard them talk about their struggles with their emotions and their struggles with finding a higher power and their even their struggles with connecting with AA, it just made me know that I belonged in AA. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas. That there was the voice of our friend, Mr. David G, that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 325. To start out the new year, the year of our Lord, 2024, and you are going to hear so much more from David G. in just a moment, but first things first, this here episode is made possible by Tiffany and Chad, Ernie, Kate, David, Idaliza, Marie, And what you may ask if you are a new listener to the program, did these folks do? Well, they went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on that little yeller donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Tiffany, Chad, Ernie, Kate, David, Ida, Lisa, and Marie, this Here, episode number 325 with David G is coming right out to Ewan's, Ewan's, I'm sorry, I, 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 something happened on that word, but Ewan's, (sighs) we are not saints, we are not perfect, but nonetheless, are you feeling a little uh, restless, irritable, and discontented today? Well, if you are, we are here to get you back on the beam to smooth out the rough edges of your day. Never fear. Sober speak is here. (laughs) Hey, I just made that one up. I kind of like that one. Never fear. Sober speak is here. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's good. But nonetheless, uh, we are glad you have joined us. Uh, we know, and as I mentioned last week, my friend Chad likes to say that between November, December, and January, uh, this is our the uh, recovery community's biggest membership drive of the year. <laughs> We have we have people uh, that we actually don't have a membership drive, just in case you're curious. But uh, it seems like it uh, around January uh, we get a lot of uh, we get a lot more activity. And as a and I don't think we talk about it in this episode with David, but David G. I've heard him mention before uh, the difference between like a a gym, right? When you, you have gym memberships and then you notice in January that, oh, there's a ton of people coming in because they have all their New Year's resolutions. They want to come in and I get in shape, lose weight, whatever they want to do, right? Um, the difference between that and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would venture to guess all the other recovery communities out there as well, is that we do not want you to go away when you come in, right? Uh, we welcome you. We want you here. But if you're in a gym, right, you say, oh, I want these people get out of here. Let's just go back to like it was in November. Uh, and I want to I want to get back to a non-crowded gym again. But but we want we welcome you. Uh, we want you in. Uh, I want you uh, listening to this podcast between meetings when you can, just as a little uh, supplement to get you through to you get back to those meetings. And I have said many times before, if you have the choice between listening to my silly, silly little podcast and actually going to uh, a meeting within your area, um, and some people don't have that choice, but if you have that choice, please go to the meeting. Uh, it's, it's the boots on the ground. It's where really uh, recovery takes place. Uh, in the, it's the grassroots, right? It's the community. It's a going to the meetings. It's meeting people eyeball to eyeball or on virtual, whatever you do, uh, and uh, uh, enjoying the, the fellowship with them. But nonetheless, uh, once again, never fear. Sober Speak is here. We're here to help you out. All right. So, um, Let's get on to Mr. David G and David G. Oh, 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 before we get into David G, I do want to say that I think this will be the last time that I'm able to announce it. It may be one more time, uh, but on January 12th, we're having another shin big, big, excuse me, big shin dig. And what you may ask, John M, is that big shin dig you are referencing? Well, that is. Uh, Cliff G and Lori G from Oklahoma City, one AA person, one Al-Anon person, and they are a couple, they are married, and they will be coming to the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas. Uh, if, if you need any of this information, go to SoberSpeak.com and click on the events tab and everything's going to be there. But even if you can, oh, so what, what John M time does that start? Well, that starts at 6.30 PM. It's going to last approximately two hours. We're going to have, we're going to have live music from Mary Lynn B. So Mary Lynn will be singing. And I think she's got uh, some other people that are going to be singing with her. I don't want to say right now, cause I'm not sure if those people are going to be singing, but so anyway, uh, uh, so Marilyn's going to be there and we're going to have uh, snacks. 
We're going to have, oh, there's childcare as, as well. So if you are in the North Texas area and you want to bring your uh, uh, children, and that doesn't include your spouse, you, can, you cannot put your spouse in there. But if you want to bring your children and uh, there's going to be childcare available, and what else is a, uh, important that I need? I already said January 12th, right? Um, I think that's it, but we would love to see you there. Oh, and if you can't join us via, uh, in live and in person, you'll be able to watch the event, uh, via zoom. Uh, so, uh and if it, once again, if you go to that, uh, superspeak.com slash, uh, events tab, uh, it'll have all the zoom information for you to be able to tune in. You know, generally speaking, we get somebody from like Australia, New Zealand, and I, you know, over in Europe and wherever you are, uh, we would love for you to, to join us. Uh, and when I say us, me and Lori G and Cliff G and there'll be a lot of other people there in the auditorium as I see the auditorium. It's a, uh, yeah, eh, we'll just call it an auditorium. It's a, it's a, a church place, you know, like, you know, where they do sermons and stuff like that. But nonetheless, that's it. All right. Now on to Mr. David G. This one is called, I belong in a, an Alcoholics Anonymous. As always with David G, we never know exactly where the conversation is going to end up. And as I mentioned, I absolutely love it. We discuss two-stepping and what that means, uh, convincing Mr. Hyde, which is a, a writing by Bill Wilson from way back in the day. And uh, David has some thoughts on that. We talk about the guy who started GA, which is Gamblers Anonymous, and uh, David's uh, relationship with that gentleman. We discussed the St. Francis prayer, uh, forgiveness, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please help me welcome Mr. David G. And because of holidays and a lot of stuff I have going on here, we are not going to do uh, listener feedback at the end of the episode today, uh, but I will pick it up next week where we uh, left off. So anyway, God bless you. Uh, enjoy David G. Oh, I'll go ahead and say this on the front end since I can't say it on the back end. And that is uh, keep coming back. It works on the work. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until day. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week with another episode. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. So we are back in the house one more time with the one and only he's he's closed his eyes like he's embarrassed uh the one and only mr david g so david g please go ahead introduce yourself with your what do you call it your your gravelly sexy voices yeah, on today? i seem to be a little deeper pitch today <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, introduce yourself, give that sobriety date, if you would, please, and tell people where you live. I mean, not, you know, the actual address, but, you know, what part of the country you I'm live I'm just going to share my location so everyone can come over whenever <laughs> Drop they want a pin. To. Come on. Yeah, drop a pin, baby. <laughs> so I'm David G. I'm from Frisco, Texas. I'm an alcoholic drug addict. Um, who's been sober, well, it's 30 years last Friday, so September 15th, 1993, and I go to the Frisco Group and the Shivering Denizens and the Frisco Fourth Dimension. Those are all uh, equally important to me, and uh, I 
know John from there. He's been my sponsor since about 2008. 30 years, my friend. Triple X. <laughs> been waiting well, to say that. <laughs> I remember that when I got 30 years thinking, I don't, do I want to tell people it's Triple X? There's kind of a, a double entendre there. I don't know if we should go that way or not. Yeah, as I was posting something on Facebook, I chose not to post that. <laughs> Anyway, congratulations on your 30 years. And, you know, we just got back from, you were, you spoke at a conference in Oklahoma, Ardmore, Oklahoma, to be uh, exact. And we were able to spend some time there. You did a great job sharing it. By the way, I actually said on some uh, previous podcast, you were going to be the Saturday night speaker, but you were the Friday night speaker. But nonetheless, you did great on Friday they night. They probably listened to Sober Speak and demoted me. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a promotion or demotion. I'm not sure. Uh, but we had a good day. Oh, and, and so on the way back, I was supposed to meet you. So your your wife, I hope it's okay to talk to her, likes to go to the casino. <laughs> she <or> does. <laughs> she likes those slot machines. I did not know until the first time I went with her somewhere where there are slot machines, and her whole demeanor changed. <laughs> you, well, it was interesting when she was talking to me at the conference, and she goes, we're going to go to the, what's the name of that place? Choctaw. Choctaw. Yeah, it's some one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a casino on yeah. the way back from Ardmore to Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, she she says, uh, uh, and I said, yeah, I may go. And she goes, yeah, you may. And she, her, you know how her eyes yeah. get real big. And She's her... an excitable person. <laughs> so, but but I was I was gonna meet you guys there because we were separate cars, and and I said, okay, well, I'm gonna leave after a while. And I got to the casino, and I went into the. I, I didn't know there was a smoking and non-smoking place, but I yeah. was about to choke on the smoke. Right. And I was like walking around the casino, texting you, like, where are you? Yeah. But you all had already left. Yeah. Well, so when we got there, we immediately were losing money. I don't really do much, but I just kind of follow her around and play the cheapest slots I can play. And then we won it all back in one thing, and I cashed out and I said, honey, this is what it feels like to win. We're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually left with like maybe 50 bucks more than we came with, but it was looking bleak before that. <laughs> Oh. So we were only there like an hour. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay, so yeah, and I guess I don't know how long it was before I left, but I got there, and you're like, I, I was texting both you and Sarah, and it's like, oh well, we've already left. So all right, well, we'll get it next time. Yeah. All right. So okay, on the subject matter, uh, AA ish. Uh, besides casinos, yeah, here. instead of GA ish. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, oh, you know, I've never had anybody on from GA. There, I'm sure there are people listening now. I got sober with the guy who started GA in Dallas. Really? A guy named Bob G. Yeah. And he, I've shared about him a lot in meetings. Bob was claimed to be a devout atheist, although he had a lot of spirituality about him. And he went and sat alone at a GA meeting for years before it began to take off. And um, he really changed the face. At meetings, you hear me say, keep coming back or else. Yeah, I got that from Bob G because he talked about how he had such a hard time swallowing chapter four and swallowing spirituality and listening to people talk about God. And we had a couple run-ins, not major, but just events that happened. And he said, but when he got to chapter four and on the first page, it said, or else, 
you know, we had to find a higher power or else, mm-hmm. that he realized that his life had been or else for quite a while. And he wasn't willing to believe in God, but he would get on his knees every morning and he would do the things that he was told to do, whether he believed them or not. And he stayed sober about 40 years before he died. And I just had a lot of respect for him because I thought if this guy who is militantly atheist Mm -hmm. can go to AA and follow the instructions and have sobriety and a reasonably happy life, then that's those are footsteps I want to follow in. Wow. In in fact, you when you said follow directions, I've heard you say this in meeting many times, the, the soup can directions. Right. Talk about that. Well, you know, it's a big soup can, the big book, and I do believe that there are specific instructions. Some um, are interpreted differently by other people. You know, some people don't view, you know, the resentment inventory as having four columns. Um, they don't have their sponsees do four columns because there's not specifically stated in that diagram a fourth column um, and that my sponsor had me do four columns so to me neither one of those are right or wrong as long as you get to what your your wrongs are in your inventory right um, there's a line in chapter four that my sponsor said was an instruction it says do not let any prejudice you have against spiritual terms keep you from honestly asking you what they mean to you and the first one he said to me and it's the first one I say to my sponsees that God God is probably a spiritual term if there is one, and we need to discover what you're what you can believe about God. What does it mean to you, right? Not what necessarily what you were taught as a child, although that may work for you, but we need to find out what God means to you. So that was an instruction, you know? Now, some people read right past that and don't see that as an instruction. They see it as like a, maybe a philosophical discussion, right? Mm-hmm. But my sponsor saw it as an instruction. So when you do the steps with me, or when I did the steps with Clovis, we followed very straightforward instructions that he pulled hold from lines in the big book. Now, there's a whole lot of other lines and a whole lot of other metaphors and stories and other things, and and they don't, they're almost like parables in, in a religious book, you know? Um, but regardless, I follow specific instructions with my sponsees, and that step study that we've done together many times are a breakdown of those instructions. That's right. And, they, and I don't believe that those instructions are right or wrong. They're the instructions that got me sober and have kept me sober, and they're the instructions that I passed down. Soup can instructions. Soup can instructions. You're either going to follow them or you're not. (laughs) There's a line in Emmett Fox where he talks about that if you were baking a cake, you wouldn't think of switching out kerosene for one of the ingredients, (laughs) but that's what we do. You know, we get instructions and then we throw in our own little potion and wonder why the cake sucks. Kerosene. (laughs) I think it's in Emmett Fox. It may be in Daily Reflections. I can't remember. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. So we never, as you know, we sometimes we come up with like a little plan of what we're going to talk about before we actually get on the mic here. And then, you know, it kind of goes off track. Uh, But one thing I did want to talk to you about was that piece uh, in the 12 and 12. And I'm going to bring it up here and read it real quick because I think it's important. Uh, And it is the whole subject matter of two-stepping. And if you're reading along at home or want to read along at home at some point, this is in step 12 of the 12 and 12. Uh, the bottom of page 112 and the top of page 113. And I'm going to read this uh, and and let you uh, 
put in some commentary regarding this passage, okay? It says, of course, all AAs, even the best, fall short of such achievements as a consistent thing. Uh, and, and it's talking about the, the paragraphs previous to that. He says, without necessarily taking the first drink, we often get quite far off the beam. Our troubles sometimes begin with indifference. We are sober and happy in our AA work. Things go well at home and office. We naturally congratulate ourselves on what later proves to be far uh, a far too easy and superficial point of view. We temporarily cease to grow because we feel satisfied that there is no need for all of AA's 12 steps for us. We are doing fine on a few of them. Maybe we are doing fine on only two of them. The first step and that part of the 12th step where we are carrying the message. In AA slang, this blissful state is known as two-stepping, and it can go on for years. So what are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, so this came up when I was speaking uh, at that conference, whatever, uh, in uh, on Lake Murray. Um, and it, it really got me to thinking, because recently I've had the experience, an experience that I haven't had in a long time, many years, not since I got sober, but in many years. Um, and that was of someone kind of berating me and yelling at me and telling me that I'm a bad person. That wasn't their the words they used, but that was basically what they were saying. And fortunately in recovery, I that doesn't happen very often. It's been years. And so as I was kind of trying to metabolize this, what came to my mind before I started to do actual step work um, was the next paragraph, which I will pseudo quote, it says, and what happens when life hands you a lump that you cannot swallow, let alone digest? Do we AAs have what it takes? You know, someone berates and insults us, someone berates and insults a family member or bullies us, or they talk about someone dying at war because that was written after the Second World War. Um, but anyway, what do we do? And, and, and that thought came to my mind after I'd had many discussions with other people. I had talked to my wife and I had talked to a couple friends. I called you, I called Gary, and you know we got through it. You and I were going to have another conversation. But by the time we were going to have another conversation, I realized that I had had enough conversations, that conversations are not working the 12 steps. Conversations are where I figure out that I am powerless, that I cannot change this person's opinion of me. However, I need to look at my part. And so what I did, and it only took a couple days, which is a somewhat like miracle for me because I don't have the conscious thought, oh, I don't need the rest of the steps. I mean, that's not something I think. I'm, I don't think to myself, oh, I can just work on step one and go carry the message, and I'm going to forget about all these problems. I don't think that way, but do I behave that way sometimes? Do I talk to my friends and they go, wow, that's crazy. You're not that guy. We love you. So many people love you. You can't pay attention to that one person who is whatever, acting out or whatever, or, or maybe they're right. It doesn't matter. Matter, that doesn't work. If I could think my way 
through these difficult emotions, I wouldn't be on this podcast. I wouldn't have 30 years sober because I wouldn't need them. And I wouldn't know you guys. And you guys wouldn't understand me and I wouldn't understand you. What makes us the same is the way we tick. And the way I tick is I jump to human solutions for problems that I need spiritual help with. And that was me talking to my wife, who happened to be there at the time that this uh, uh, onslaught occurred, which made her very angry and defensive of me and very much wanting to be the perpetrator of revenge. And uh, not really, but, you know, she was angry. You know, those were fighting words for her. My wife's only five feet tall, but man, she's tough. And, uh, And so in the midst of that, I was getting a lot of moral support and a lot of love and But what I wasn't getting is I wasn't getting to what my part was, and I wasn't getting to my blame and my fault and what I needed to do and where I needed to carry this. And so I can't just get that by carrying the message to other people. Um, So what I did is I ripped a piece of paper out of a spiral, and I stuck it on a table, and I wrote out four columns, and I wrote the first column, uh, the name uh, and the situation, and then I wrote about what I was angry about. And that led to a lot of writing about what I was angry about. And then it led to a second inventory on what I was fearful about. You know, am I that guy? Am I taking advantage? Do I still look out for, as my dad used to call it, call me big number one, you know? And he wasn't saying that as a compliment. (laughs) Um, Am I still behaving that way? And of course I am in some degree, you know, I don't believe in total eradication of self. I mean, there's definitely a yin and a yang, and sometimes the little ball is bigger than others on the black side, you know, that I can be driven away by self-justification and self-congratulations and looking at all of the good things that I've done and really not being willing to take a look at and, and find some demonstration through the steps of God's hand in all of this. Because I really want God's hand in all of this to be my way. Mm. You know, I, it's, it's, it's not, true, but it's true enough that it needs to be said. I am far more grateful when I feel grateful because things are going the way I want them to go. It's kind of like when we talk about we will lose our fear of financial insecurity. Well, I can tell you, I have far less fear of financial insecurity when I don't have financial insecurity. Okay. (laughs) And I don't know how spiritual that is. That's just the truth. The human side of me that wants to be right, that wants to have the world be okay with me. You know, this person who's so angry with me, who felt it necessary to say these things to me, I want them, I want to be right with them, you know? And for me to be right with them, I I don't know if it's codependence, I don't know if it's alcoholism, but for me to be right with them, I need them to understand where I'm coming from. And that is where I need steps two through 11 in my life, or I am not going to behave the way I should behave. And sometimes behaving the way I should behave doesn't feel good. Sometimes behaving the way I should behave requires me to eat a little bit of crow, you know? And it's a joke, but it's true. You know, crow is best eaten when it's warm. (laughs) And so... After doing that, I felt convicted to make some changes in the behavior that I was being called on. Not wholesale changes, but, you know, I wanted to move in the direction of peace. And, um, and so, you know, it, that just happened, okay? 
but you know, when my mom passed away, which I've shared about with you guys before, and I, I almost always share it when I speak at any type of thing from any type of meeting that I would speak and tell my story was the death of my mother and how painful that was and how blessed I feel today that the last 11 years of her life, I got to be sober. But at the time of her death, which lasted about five and a half months from when she was, uh, when they found the cancer to when it, when she passed away from it, um, I was in a real hard spot because when my sponsees would call me and they would be complaining about things in their life, financial problems, legal problems, you know, how are they going to get their car fixed because they didn't have enough money because they had to pay their amends and these type of things, a kind of gorge would rise in me because I was in so much pain watching my mother die that it was very hard for me to be nice. Mm. And at times I thought to myself, maybe I shouldn't sponsor people right now. Maybe I'm not in a place emotionally where I'm going to be a good steward of AA to these people because they're talking about what seem very minor problems. You know, someone shared in the meeting today about losing their mom and having these experiences and had given them a new appreciation for life, you know? It's weird that loss not not loss of a job necessarily, but real loss of like something that really we don't know how to deal with, that loss can turn into a greater appreciation for the lives that we have, right? And so in the midst of all of this, and I know I'm kind of going on and on a little bit, I began to recognize, like I recognized in 2004 when my mom was passing away, that absolutely the thing that I needed to do was to continue sponsoring people, continue reaching out to the newcomer, continue taking meetings to the jail, continue doing my step study, to continue to do all of the things that my sponsor had taught me to do, so that whatever was happening in the death of my mother and in how I coped with it would become of value to other people. Because if it only matters how I feel about the hard things in my life, then do they really matter the world around me? Or are they just me being selfish and self-centered and wanting to have my things my way and just being ungrateful if I don't have them my way? And you know, sometimes gratitude is being of service to other people, especially when you don't feel like it. So as you mentioned, we were just in that meeting together. Uh, we went to the Frisco Fourth Dimension at uh, noon today. And uh, the subject was actually brought up by Michael was the uh, St. Francis prayer. Mm -hmm. And it may, I was thinking about that actually while you were sharing in that when somebody from my perspective does me wrong, mm -hmm. they would have another opinion usually. And the St. Francis prayer says something like, you know, try to understand rather than to be understood. Mm-hmm. I get what they're saying. Uh, it can be tough. What, what, what were you thinking during that meeting today with the St. Francis prayer? Gosh, when I, when I got a chance to share, I'm really grateful I did because I think it would have been bottled up in me a little bit if I hadn't gotten to say something because it, that prayer is on the wall in a, in a place in my house that I read it uh, every day, not because I have a plan to read it, but I end up in front of it and I, and I read it every day practically. And, um, and I, in the beginning, I thought of it as this like lofty thing that none of us would ever live up to and 
why are, you know, this is too much and nobody acts like that. But as time's gone by, I've really begun to realize that it's really an instruction for how to handle the difficulties in my life, you know? I mean, it's really easy to empathize with people who you totally see why they're acting that way, totally see why they're feeling that way, and it's not affecting me at all. Like, if you come to me with some major problem in your life where you've really hurt someone and you don't know how to deal with it, I can be really good at like talking to you about it and taking responsibility. But if you've done that to me, (laughs) it's not so easy, right? Right, right? And hey, there's other people in my life than my AA friends. There's a lot of people in my life who don't do a program like this. Now, a lot of those people do a program through their Christianity or just through being decent people. You know, someone in the meeting today talked about their nephew who just gets it, right? right? Like one of these kids who just wakes up and things roll off their back like water on a duck's butt and that, you know, that kind of, I've never been that kind of person. Now, I'm super that person if we're talking about something that has nothing to do with me. Like I can be, I can wax real philosophical <laughs> on things that don't matter to me, but that I know are important. Right. But man, when I have a feeling associated with that, particularly a feeling of injustice towards me or someone that I care about, man, it changes what it takes for me. That's where I need God, right? Clovis used to tell me, because we talked a lot about forgiveness and I had a lot of struggles with my dad in early recovery. And he he would say this to me in some form. He goes, you know, David, anybody can forgive people who they think deserve it. Right. And then he used an, uh, a dirty word, which I won't. He said, any bleepity bleep can do that. It's your relationship with God that'll help you forgive those who you don't think deserve it. And that's what we all need. You know, this idea of grace You know, when I try to understand the way another person feels, when I actually humble myself to practice empathy in a situation that I don't want to do that, I mean, that's probably where I need my relationship with God the very most. There's something in the 12 and 12, uh, I forget exactly where it is, but it it references going, going out of my way to be kind and to do nice things for people that basically get under my skin. I mean, mm-hmm. they phrase it in another way. But have you have you had experience? Yeah, with that? I have a funny story. So George started the Shivering Denizens. He's an old friend of me and John's. We went to meetings with him for a long time. And George passed away, unfortunately. He was a construction guy and he fell off a ladder. Okay. And it was tragic. We all hated to lose him. And I think a lot of people at the group I know I do miss him. Um, so when I first got to the Frisco group, I was kind of this brash, loud mouth with 11 years sober. I was rolling completely unsponsored that led to all kinds of problems in my personal life. In fact, I asked John to sponsor me right when I'm in the midst of chaos. I'm sure he's like, what is up with this guy? But anyway, every day, George, when I when we were at the meeting together, which was a lot, two to three times a week, he would like come up to me after the meeting and he would say to me, man, I really enjoyed what you shared. You've got a really great message. And I'd be like, well, thanks, George. I mean, I'd kind of be like, okay, it seemed like a little forced, right? And so I was sitting next to one of his sponsees today uh, back then, and his sponsee and I had a lot of uh, uh, close time together where I would do step work with him or we would talk about real, real important things from our personal lives from the past. And we really had a great relationship. And, and he occasionally would say, I need you to sponsor me. I can't deal with George, you know? <laughs> and, and I'd be like, no, listen, we can keep doing what we're doing. George may get under your skin, but hey, listen, 
he's helping you and you don't want to uproot that you're in early recovery and now he's been sober like 15 years and i'm so glad that you know i just let the situation alone and one day he comes to me and he goes man i just can't do it george is making me go up to anyone i don't like and tell them how much i enjoyed what they shared <laughs> i was like you So there you have it. George was practicing what he preached. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I remember coming up to you and, you know, uh, you, as you know, and and you've settled down a little, not a lot, but I remember coming up to you uh, once after a meeting when I first got to the Frisco group and I go, you know, it took me a while to get used to you sharing, David, but once I realized it's not personal, you're not actually talking to me, right? And just listen to what you were talking about. Uh, it made a whole difference for me in, in, in hearing you share during the meeting. Do you get that from other people? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll, I'll finish sharing and I'll think, David, that was a little wheels off. You probably took that a little too far. And I don't share talking about other people. I don't mention other people when I share, really. I think it's cross-talk to talk, and we've talked about that yeah. in other episodes. But I'll get real down and graphic about what's wrong with me. And I don't mean graphic like in an inappropriate sexual manner. I just mean I will talk about how much difficulty I've had my entire life regulating my feelings and my behavior, you know, yeah. uh, including but not limited to the way I drank and used drugs. Uh, I if I really enjoyed something, I found a way to try to fill the hole in me with it. And so I've been finished sharing and thought to myself, man, I think you went a little too far today, but you know, you can't take it back. And you know, all I did was tell the truth. It just might've been a little more truth than was appropriate to this room. And inevitably, that is the day someone asked me to sponsor, sponsor you. Right. Because right. what I, my sponsor was like that. And the way he shared in meetings before I was ready to get sober, really sounded know-it-allsy and just too much. Like he had like gone and rehearsed quotes from the big book so that he could shove them down people's throat so that people would think he was so cool. I mean, I literally thought that he did that so that he could get girls. I mean, it was crazy (laughs) the way I thought before I was ready, you know? I came to AA for a long time before I was ready, you know? And, but once I was ready, what I would hear from him was him disclosing his insides mm-hmm. to the room. And I went to his funeral. Uh, that's where, you know, Jack and that whole story started, really. Although I knew Jack before, that's where we adopted his son when we realized that his son was going to be uh, uh, basically put into the CPS system in Texas, which is terrible. Uh, but anyway, at that funeral that, that I helped to organize, there were people from all over. I mean, from all over the state of Texas. And we had a call-up meeting for his funeral. And at that meeting, person after person after person, until finally after an hour and a half, we just had to say, hey, listen, let's all talk <laughs> over coffee. Uh, we, you know, we only had the church for so long. Mm-hmm. Talked about how the way Clovis shared in meetings made them know that they belonged in AA. God's making me upset, you know, because it did. It made me know that I was in the right place. You know, when people were talking about how wonderful their lives were and how they'd had all these, this growth and, 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 and their wives and their jobs and their homes and their cars and all that stuff, that kind of turned me off. But when I heard them talk about their struggles 
with their emotions and their struggles with finding a higher power and their even their struggles with with connecting with AA. It just made me know that I belonged in AA. Oh, so cool. Um Okay, so I was I was busy taking notes and you kind of caught me off guard. Uh Okay, so I I, I want to shift gears here a little bit. We've talked about some of this in the past, but you know, you and I both have long-term sobriety and um, uh, you, you actually talked about this on one of your early episodes that I had with you. And I've heard you talk about it in meetings is about convincing Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. So give me your thoughts on that. Where it came, where it comes from in the 12 and 12 is, is it the 12 and 12 or the big book? It's a letter that he wrote. Oh, when he was near the end of his life, he wasn't able to go to some big convention, and so he read a letter to the and so he is, and I actually heard the rest of that letter read as a topic at a meeting a few months ago. And I, as he, the beginning of the letter was being read, I thought, "Wow, this sounds like he's leading up to this paragraph." And sure enough, it was, and it's talking about. And just so everybody knows, he is is Bill Wilson, right? And at the end of this letter. He basically says, and I have it right here, he says, How shall our unconscious, from which so many of our fears, compulsions, and phony aspirations still stream, be brought into line with what we actually believe, know, and want? How to convince our dumb, raging, and hidden Mr. Hyde becomes our main task. And, and you know, that's really what we're talking about. You know, yes, I, I I haven't drank or smoked crack or weed or any of that stuff in 30 years, but the other uh, things that occur in life, you know, getting successful in life also brings on a lot of responsibilities with it. Being a, a successful family man has a lot of responsibilities with it. And sometimes those responsibilities feel like blessings and sometimes they feel overwhelming, you know, and it's different for everyone because everyone has different, you know, qualities of marriage or qualities of partnerships or qualities of what they do for a living or, or whatever, you know, we all have different different, it's like our fingerprints, you know, our thumbs may all look the same, but if you stick them in ink and put them on a piece of paper, every one of our thumbprints is completely unique to us. And so I have a unique Mr. Hyde, you know, I have a unique subconscious where things flow, some of of which I'm aware of, you know, we've talked a lot about trauma therapy and trying to find these things out. And so I know more about myself than I knew about myself 30 years ago exponentially, but it does not change that it is a continuous effort through, like we talked about with this two-stepping, working all 12 steps in my life. I think one of the biggest blessings that I never thought about, although I, I, I'm i not going to say I never thought about it, that I didn't think about in this context, was that when I asked my sponsor, Clovis, a year sober, hey man, this guy Roy is doing a step study, should I do it? And, and instead of being threatened that somehow I was going to get drawn away from my relationship with him, which sounds weird, but it's possible to think that way, he said, you know what, Dave, any way to work the steps is a great way to work the steps. And since then, I've done this step study almost every year for 30 years, and so it has forced me to go through the book and follow the instructions at least once a year. So, you know, when this thing happened a few weeks ago where I had this altercation with this person, 
it was there for me. And I don't know if I didn't work the steps every year, if I would have realized, you know what, David, in the 10th step, when it talks about an inventory, it's not some other inventory. There's not some new inventory that they're just not telling you about that you should figure out for yourself. The inventory that you were taught to do was to sit down with a piece of paper and write out four columns and fill them out and then share them with another person so that you can figure out what your defects of character are, how they're upsetting you and upsetting other people, and become willing and humble enough to realize, I ain't going to remove this stuff by myself, but the beginning of removing my character defects from myself is by standing in front of those I have harmed and taking responsibility for what I have done. I don't know if I would have known to do that if I was two-stepping. So you mentioned your step study there. I, I generally speaking, will get some uh, emails or something about that, asking about your your step study. Yep. Are you doing that again? Yeah, this year? we'll start in November. November. Yeah. Okay. So if you're in the North Texas area yep. and you want to know more about that, just email me at john g o h n s soberspeak dot com, and I can get you to David and email. Yeah, we'll meet. We'll meet at the Frisco Fourth Dimension site. It's not associated with the Frisco Fourth Dimension. We do it all separate from the group at ten thirty on Saturday mornings for fifteen weeks, and we'll all go through the book together. If there's you know, depending on the number of people, usually it's about 25 or 30, and we usually end up with around 15 finishing, and all of those people stay sober. So that's a plug for it. If you want to join, please just contact us. We'd love to have you. That sounds great. I think that's enough for people to digest for one episode. Me too. That was a lot. <laughs> As a, as I say, chock full of nuts, uh, <laughs> and you always, nuts. you always are. Uh, I appreciate it, David. I'm going to go ahead and read from page 164 of the Big Book. It says, "Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us." We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and David G., maybe at that uh, uh, step study coming up, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, thanks, David, for coming by. All right. Thanks, John. It's great to be here.